This is recording number 10806 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the seventh message in the outpouring series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 8, 2009. This message is titled, Everyone Gets to Play. of good report. They need a testimony. Now, testimony is something that uh, I declare out of my experience. When you're on the stand in a court of law and you give testimony, you're telling the, the, you're describing what you've seen, heard, or experienced firsthand. Firsthand. I have seen this. I heard him say. I saw him do. He did this. She did this to me. First-hand experience. It's powerful stuff in the kingdom of God. If you have a testimony, the Bible says in Revelation 12, 11, you have a powerful weapon. In that verse, it, t- it says that we overcome him. We overcome the devil, the adversary, with the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Have you encountered the living Christ? Have you experienced his forgiveness? Have you had him transform and touch your life? If so, you have a testimony. You qualify. The next qualification that is given in this passage is that you had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit fullness. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus commissioning his church. He says... Don't go anywhere. Stay here because after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll receive power to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Dear one, we cannot do what God has called us to do outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. None of us are smart enough. None of us are creative enough. None of us are wise enough. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The third thing is a servant heart. With servant heart. These guys were called to make sure that the widows got fed. Not to be on the platform in the spotlight, you know, have people, you know, bow down to them and all that. It was just making sure that uh, the daily distribution of food to these widows got managed correctly. Servant heartedness. And servant heartedness is always at the bottom of every ministry. Every fruitful, every genuine ministry is at its heart. A desire to serve others and God. If you have a testimony, if you have been filled with the Holy Spirit and you want to dig in and serve people in the name of the Lord, you're on the team and we need you. Now, go on and read with me beginning at verse 8. And Stephen, this is one of these seven guys. We read his name earlier. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. This is a guy who took his job seriously. He not only served the needs of the widows, but he started allowing God to use him in powerful ways. Wonders and signs followed this man. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, a dispute with Stephen. And they were, verse 10 says, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. 
Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and uh, the elders and the scribes and they came upon him, seized him, brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that that this Jesus of Nazareth uh, will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. They bring all this false accusation against Stephen. They have been unsuccessful, remember, in stopping uh, the advance of the church, even though they've hauled the apostles into uh, jail at least twice that we know of and threatened them with everything that they could throw at them. But they can't, these religious leaders can't seem to stop this thing. Now they've got you know, someone they think they may be able to get their teeth into, Stephen. So they accuse him, and he, while he is standing before them, uh, being falsely accused, it says that they look upon him, and he looks like, they see in him the touch of God. He looks like an angel. An angel, by the way, is not just somebody with wings and a harp. The Bible word for angel simply means messenger. This guy, just like you and me, have been commissioned with the gospel to be messengers of the kingdom of God. And so uh, Stephen is um, standing before them. And then beginning in verse 1 of chapter 7, he goes on and preaches this powerful sermon. Takes us all the way through to uh, verse 54. And he basically is recounting the whole history of the Jews and brings them right up to the to to the um, entrance of Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, Jesus. And verse 54 says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And that does not mean that they were convicted. That they were, oh, yes, you, oh, we, we, really, we really blew it. We, we need to repent and turn. It doesn't mean that. It means that they were so angered by what they heard that their hearts were... Uh, Passionately uh, responding to it. That's the, the language that's there. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. They so resisted the gospel that they were just filled with fury. But he, Stephen, verse 55 says, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Take note of this. This is our first introduction to probably the most influential person of the rest of the New Testament. Saul will become the Apostle Paul. So they laid their their, uh, garments at the feet of this guy named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down. Stones are flying. His life is ebbing. He cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them. With this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And the religious leaders have now tasted first blood. And they launch a rampage upon the church. Now they think they can stop this thing. And Saul is a key player. 
verse eight, or chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. We're going to come back to that in a minute, but I want to just talk to you about a couple of things here we see out of the life of Stephen. We are not unopposed. I used to love when I was, you know, I already told you my little uh, story about uh, not being the best of athletes. So I used to like it when uh, we would have a bye, you know. <laughs> or we'd show up at the, at the field and the other team wouldn't show up. That was always a good day. <laughs> but dear ones, in the kingdom of God, we do not have a bye. We are opposed. We have an adversary who's, who understands the significance. Most of us don't, but he understands the significance of what's going on. And he wants to stamp out the advance of the gospel. And our adversary does not play fair. He does not play fair. He does not play by the rules. He will, he delights in kicking you when you're down. In fact, stomping your face when you're down. But, dear one, he cannot win. He cannot win. Even here, when the religious leaders think they have the church on the run, they've killed their first um, you know, significant leader of the church, and they think, now nah, we got this thing. Even then, what happens? Chapter 8, verse 1, the church is scattered because of the, uh, the unleashing of this persecution that happens. But what did Jesus say to his church? He said, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem... Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, to this point, they've stuck, they're stuck in Jerusalem. The advance of the gospel is not happening. So I'm not saying that God unleashed this persecution, but even when the devil was thinking he was having the upper hand, God was greater still and used that persecution to spread his church. And now, what he commanded his church to do, they're having, they're doing. They're doing. He cannot win. Every time the adversary, adversary focuses in on some area of your life and thinks he's going to drive a stake through your heart, that's just about the time when Romans 8.28 comes into play. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, we need the challenge that we face. Um, in these kinds of times in order to stay focused on the goal, uh, not our own comfort, because the gravitational pull in our lives is always towards comfort. Have you noticed that? We always want to be comfortable. But you know what? Comfortable people, listen to me, comfortable people are never happy. Never. Because we weren't made for selfishness. We weren't designed that way. And when our life focuses in, now I'm not saying that you, you shouldn't enjoy those times of, you know, respite. But if your life is all about how to make your, your life more predictable, more, uh, you know, um, secure, more uh, comfortable, I can promise you, you will not be happy. You are not designed for selfishness. We are 
the most happy, we are the most fulfilled is probably a better word to use, when we are in the throes of the challenge of serving God against obstacles. And seeing those obstacles fall. Joining together with other people of like mind and and, uh, passion and taking on the forces that are resisting us in the name of Jesus and watching them fall. There is nothing, nothing more fulfilling, more rewarding than that. Now, chapter 8, we're introduced to another one of the table table, uh, waiters. Out of the seven we are, uh, that were chosen to take care of the, the widows and the distribution of the food, we are shown two, the stories of two of the men. We've talked about Stephen, and now in chapter 8, verse 4, we're going to meet a guy named Philip. Verse 4, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. The Samaritans were... Um, totally disregarded by the, the Jews. They considered them half-breeds. And it's said that they wouldn't, if the wind was blowing from the region of Samaria, they wouldn't breathe the air. That's how much they detested the Samaritans. But Philip, as he is part of this, uh, uh, of the people of God being um, pressed by, their, by this persecution out of Jerusalem to the other regions, uh, Philip says, hey, I'm going where they need me. And he heads to Samaria, and he preached Christ there. And verse 6 tells us, Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. I'll bet most of you, like me, when you think about the Bible and what happens through the book of Acts, you think of these miraculous things that you hear stories about happening only at the hands of the apostles. But that's not true. We've just been introduced to two regular plain old guys whose assignment in the church was taking care of the widows. And the Bible says they went and preached the gospel to, uh, w- with powerful results, with signs and wonders and healings and deliverances happening as a result. Now, <clears throat> after he uh, leads this revival in, in Samaria, another curious thing happens, uh, happens to him. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So from Jerusalem, there's a, you know, a a road that goes down to the Mediterranean Sea, down to Gaza. And and that's, uh, from where he is in Samaria, that's probably at least a two-day journey. And uh, he's kind of mopping up his part in this uh, great revival there in Samaria. And the Holy Spirit says to him, hey, I want you on that road. And he knew which one he was talking about. It was a well-known road. But he had to travel a ways to get there. It was going to be at least a couple of days before he gets there. He doesn't know why he's supposed to go. But he heads out. So he arose, verse 27, and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. This was a guy who was a man of great influence in Ethiopia. He served the queen. 
and was in charge of her treasury. And for some reason, he was drawn to the God of the Hebrews and he had come to Jerusalem to check it out, to worship. And um, verse 28, he was on his way back now. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So, There's this marvelous, wondrous appointment that the Lord has set up. This guy from Ethiopia is returning to his homeland. And and he got a hold of the scriptures. He got a hold of the book of Isaiah. And uh, to even be able to afford a a scroll of any of the Old Testament scriptures was... uh, It it would have been an incredible thing. So that he even has it, it is a description of how hungry this guy was for the God... Uh, of the Hebrews and he's on his way home and about that same time Philip shows up now remember he's been traveling for at least a couple of days but there's this divine appointment he comes upon the Ethiopian's chariot and the spirit says to Philip go near and overtake his chariot so Philip runs down and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and he said uh, hey do you understand what you're reading And the Ethiopian said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? (laughs) What a setup, right? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. This is quoting from Isaiah. This is where he was reading, sitting there in his chariot. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch says, see, hey, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. So the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Yeah, I would think so. (laughs) Here's this guy, shows up out of nowhere. Uh, And they had this divine appointment on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. The guy leads him to faith in Christ, baptizes him. They come out of the water and he's gone. So the Ethiopian uh, carries on his journey. It says he was rejoicing. I I think I would be too. Wow, God, you did all that just for me? You sent that guy here just for me so that I could come to know you? Wow. Wow. Then verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotus. That's another city a long distance away. He just appears there. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now, this is one of those things you read and you go, that can't happen. That just can't happen. How is that possible? I want to tell you, the book of Acts is full of stuff like that. And that book is in this Bible because it can happen. It does happen. It will happen. God loves people. And God wants to use you and me in miraculous ways to see people saved, healed, restored, and redeemed. I've never had the experience of, you know, beam me up, Scotty. (laughs) But I've certainly seen a lot of miraculous things take place in and through my life. And I don't want to, I don't want 
to be looking on those experiences through the rearview mirror as things that once happened to me. I want them to be part of my life now and in the future. God, work miraculously. Do your stuff. Do the stuff. And let me be part of that. I'm going to close out this morning just saying a couple of things about this passage that we read. So, so everyone gets to play. There are a few basic qualifications and we are not unopposed. And so we need to trust the coach even when it doesn't make sense. Philip is told, hey, I, w- um, I want you to travel down to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, I don't get it, but okay. And he heads off. Even when it doesn't... Have you ever had one of those occasions where it seemed like the Lord was prompting you to do something that just did not make sense? I want to encourage you not to discount those things. Pay attention to those things. Listen, sometimes we get it wrong. I've done some boneheaded things in my life just because I thought the Lord... In fact, I famously, uh, this wasn't me. I'll tell a story on someone else. I was driving with this guy in a little Volkswagen Beetle. I was, uh, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 years old. And we were passionate about our walk in Jesus and my friend who could drive. I always tried to find people who could drive to hang out with them, you know. And So he, would, he, he was driving and we were... You're tooling along, talking about God and how much we loved him. And all of a sudden, he he does a 90-degree turn with the car. And I'm almost, there's no seatbelts in these days. I'm almost (laughs) ejected from the car. It's like, ah, what are you doing? Well, God told me to turn left here. No, he didn't. That was just your idiot thing, you know. Now, I've done some stupid things in my life and tried to blame it on God. But one thing I want to not do it get, is get so sophisticated and have in place such a, a pattern of discounting the things that don't make sense to me that God can't speak to me like that anymore. I want to be willing to make a few mistakes so that the powerful things that God wants to do can happen. Are you? Or do you? I believe so. And that's why we're talking about these things. Even when it doesn't make sense, we trust the coach. Finally, listen. It says here that when Philip found the Ethiopian eunuch and came upon him, heard him speaking or reading from the, uh, the, the passage, and he says to him, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit says to him, go up and, and uh, you know, see if you can help this guy. It says that after he read from the passage and he asked the question, who's he talking about? Who's this guy Isaiah talking about? It says in verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. That's it. He just, he's just there and available. Lord, I have no idea what to say, but I opened my mouth. And God filled it. In fact, that's a promise that God gave us. Jesus said that, you know, when, in the day when you're having to stand before uh, authorities and give account of me, I'll give you what to say. You know, I hate to admit this, and I probably shouldn't admit this, but most of the time, probably 80% of the time when you come to me with a problem and you want to know, you know what I think or what, how I might counsel you, I have no idea. I'm clueless. Amen. But I will open my mouth and sometimes good stuff happens. I remember a guy came to me 
And this was in our first church. Some of you have probably heard this story before. This was in our first church that Sue and I are pastoring. We have no idea what we're doing. We're all of a sudden, we're, we, you know, just almost overnight, we have 200 people that we are, you know, trying to figure out how to serve them as pastors. And, and one, of the, one of them is a young guy that, you know, is really passionate for the Lord, a couple actually, a married couple. And, and uh, we were really, one of the ones that we were really trying to lean on for help. And he comes to me one day and he says, you know what, I... Uh, I shouldn't. It wasn't out of the blue. They had gone to um, a five-month uh, course with uh, Youth with a Mission (YWAM), it's called a DTS. So they had done that, and they got the bug. You know, wow, serving God is important and powerful and fun. And so they'd come back to our church, and I'm thinking in my heart, "We're done with that. You guys can help us now." But instead, they came to me and they said, "Randy, we just we." Should we sell everything we have and go to the mission field? And I'm thinking, no, 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 no. You belong here with us. So I opened my mouth because I really did want to. I, I didn't know what to say and I had my own agenda, but I really did want to, you know, what God's will was for them. I heard myself say, you know, you can't steer a parked car. Now, it's, it's a, you know, a trite saying that you probably all heard it. It wasn't anything particularly wise about that, but somehow God used it. I said, you can't park, uh, drive a parked car. I said, I think you need to get the car rolling. And you have a desire and a passion to do this. Start down that road and let the Lord steer you. If he guides you, then fine. We'll bless you. God bless you. Uh, if not, you'll, he'll redirect you. But at least start down the road. Well, they started down that road. It's, they've spent their lives now on the mission field, and they're the ones who pioneered the, the YWAM base in Taiwan, where my wife and I go every six months and serve. Them. You know, they have, they have sent missionaries all over the globe. I mean, it's a powerful thing that happened. I can't even describe it to you, if you unless you, you know, are, have, have, would have the chance to visit there and see the throbbing passion of the hundreds of people that they are all the time serving and, and, uh, and training and releasing to parts of the world to serve Jesus. You know, that God would have done what he was going to do anyway, but he used me in a little thing that I said to launch them. A word of wisdom. A word of wisdom. Another one of the gifts of the Spirit. I told you, I'd, I'd, I'd highlight those as we encountered them in this study. All, but all God is ever asking any of us is just suit up, show up, and bring our A game. That's it. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have any great skills because none of it matters anyway. The worship team and I met out here in the hallway before the service this morning. I, I opened my mouth. The first thing I said in terms of prayer was, God, we have nothing to offer you today but our willingness. That's it. Stand with me as we close in prayer today because it's my desire, as I'm sure it is yours, make ourselves available to the Lord. Don't you want that? I want to be available to him. I I was prepared to tell you some other stories about the word of wisdom, but you get it. The word of wisdom, the gift of the word of wisdom is simply God granting to us something of his wisdom that we can share with someone else like like Philip when he opened his mouth 
and starting where the guy was in Isaiah, preached Christ to him.